Starting out in Romans chapter 1 today, turn there, we'll start out in verse 18. And I want to begin this morning by recognizing that within the last, this world, a lot of things have changed. The world has changed. This war in Israel has really changed the dynamic in how we as Christians view our current reality. And I also want to recognize that we as believers are living in increasingly difficult times and difficult and even somewhat frightening times. And it's not always my goal on Sunday to add to that. I don't want to to do that. But I also have a responsibility to bring the truth. I can't always be talking about sunshine, puppy dogs, rainbows, and and the love of God. I also have to bring the reality of what the Word of God says about the time we're living in. So I'm going to address a a little bit of what we're seeing in the news and what it means to you and I this morning. So just as a little bit of a warning, it's going to be a little bit of a difficult message for many of us to take in this morning. We're going to be going through a lot of scripture today. And I want to show us how we got to where we are. And what the Bible says is approach this difficult. So let's start out in prayer. Father God, as I approach this difficult subject of the end times and some of what has happened in the spiritual realm that brought us to this point, I ask, Father, that you just open up the ears of everyone who will listen to this message that you will also open up their hearts to receive the truth of the Word of God, even if it is a hard pill to swallow. Lord God, I ask, Father, that your Word will be powerful, your Word will go forth and accomplish the purpose for which you have sent it, Father. Lord God, I ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. has been largely at peace for for 50 years exactly, actually. They haven't had a major war. They've had some terrorist attacks. They've had Hamas and Hezbollah lobbing rockets at them a little bit. But no real outright war has been going on in Israel for 50 years exactly. That was until last week. It was the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War in 1967. And it started out with Hamas attacking Israel from Gaza. And now Hezbollah is attacking them from the north in the West Bank from Lebanon. And it should be noted here, both Hezbollah and Hamas are really Iran. They're all funded by Iran. They're all, um, all their fighters are trained in Iran. Everything, and their equipment comes from Iran. All this stuff is having Iran in the background of it and Iran is largely funded and armed by Russia. So what this means for us as Americans is that we have to face a hard truth. We're actually fighting a proxy war against Russia on two fronts now, Ukraine and Israel. That's the reality of what we have to face right now. Because the United States has responded by sending the Gerald Ford carrier group into the Eastern Med. They're sending a second one into the Mediterranean Sea now. That's two of the 11 that we have, um, that we currently have in our Navy. And we also have now spent, uh, sent Delta Force, Navy SEALs, uh, MARSOC, all the special forces are now in Gaza trying to rescue some of the hostages. 
So we have boots on the ground right now in Gaza. And one of the things that has amazed me this week is a sudden in is everyone asking me at work or, or out on the street, is this the end? Even people who have no interest in what they call organized religion are, is, is, is this like the book of Revelation or something? Is, is this the end? Is, is, is what's going on? I mean, is the world going to end? Is there going to be World War III? What, what's going on? So as Christians, there's an obvious, the obvious question is to us as well, are we in the end times? And the answer is yes. But really, we've been there since the church was born. The prophetic clock didn't start ticking in 1967, 1948, or of time in the recent past. It really started ticking at the resurrection of Jesus and the birth of the church. So we shouldn't lose sight of that. And, the, of, and as the clock keeps ticking closer to the rapture, we're going to see the events described in Revelation and the return of Christ to reign and rule on this earth. We're going to see this in our lifetime, I believe. And it's definitely something that we should long for. I, I long for this. But we also have to recognize that this longing for Jesus to return and set everything right, we can't lose sight on what these events mean for you and I and how it should affect the way that we live today. So I'm going to, this Sunday, talk more about how did we get here? What, what happened to get us to this point? And I think that we begin by noting that the world, and especially the culture that we live in, has changed a great deal, even in my lifetime. I'm 53 years old. In my lifetime, we've gone from a largely church-going society, with one that had a fairly common culture, ethos, and morality, to one where everything goes. There is, and now we can't even find the difference between male and females. How do we get here? What, what started us on this road that seemed to be speeding us toward the events described in biblical prophecy? Well, it came through a series of compromises that our world in general and our society in particular decided to make. And the church, and when I say the church, I mean the entire realm of Christianity. If, if, it's, if it's Catholic, Lutheran, Assembly of God, Eastern Orthodox, I'm talking about the entire realm of Christianity largely stood silent while a lot of this happened. So we have to go all the way back to when we talk about um, what we're going to talk about in Romans chapter 1. This all went all the way back to the middle of the 19th century. In 1954, a man named Charles Darwin published a book. Very long title, but the short title of it was On the Origin of the Species. And this introduced the scientific idea of evolution. That all life on this planet naturally evolved from simple chemicals all the way up to the organisms that we see today. That it happened with time plus chance. Spare lightning bolt struck a rock and something became nothing, or nothing became something. And we see it, and that's how life began at this present. The consequence of that book was the idea well, we don't need creator. We don't need a creator. We just proved it 
and I say this in quotes, proved it, that it could have happened with time plus chance plus just a random um, set of circumstances. That was the start of this slippery slide to where we are today. And how do I know this? Where, where do I get this? Well, the Bible. Romans chapter 1. We're going we're gonna to study this last part of this uh, chapter in depth. Exalting Christ. He explains his ministry, Paul's ministry to the Gentiles, and then moves to some very deep teaching that we're going to get into this morning. And at the beginning of this teaching, Paul describes what happens when a people begin to slowly drift away from a faith in God. And do you know what the first thing he lists on this downward slide is, the beginning, the starting line is? Removing God as creator. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For this, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So we see here that the beginning of this slide is the suppression of the truth, that God is our, our creator. And we think that this is something that just happened now or happened in the last few hundred years, but it's the same exact tactic that Lucifer used against Adam and Eve. Deny the truth of the Creator and deny His word to us. He hasn't changed tactics in the last 7,000 years. He knows that if you disconnect the Creator from His highest creation, the light that He put within us will begin to dim and the process toward darkness and depravity will begin. And in the case of Darwin, his theories drove Europe to quickly abandon all semblances of faith. It really hit Europe hard. Many left the church and many didn't even, Europe, didn't even notice because then Europe went through a series of tragedies. Started out with the Spanish flu and then two world wars. Thought hundreds of thousands of people were dead and by the time the dust cleared, the church in Europe was largely dead. And they didn't even realize it because of everything else that had been going on. And by the time we realized here over here in America how spiritually dark Europe had gotten, Darwin's theories began to take hold in America as well. Instead of our children being taught that they were fearfully and wonderfully made, that are slightly image of their creator, they were taught they're simply animals that are slightly more involved than our chimpanzee relatives. I was taught that in school. Well, the obvious result... As a man thinks, so is he. People begin to believe that lie. And if you convince a person that their nature is simply that of an animal, they might just start to believe it. And what a person believes in their heart, they will act out in their lives. As Romans 1.21 says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave 
few to him, but their foolish heart or but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. You and I, all of humanity, were created to be vessels that carry the presence and spiritual light of God to the rest of creation. That is our created nature. However, when people begin to get educated out of believing that God is their creator, the light of God grows dim. And the next stage of the downward slide is primed to go. We saw this start to happen in the 1960s with the sexual revolution. To sexual Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than creator who is forever praised. Amen. Studying history... If you look at what happened in the 1960s with the sexual and drug revolution and all of that, it could be summed up in this way. It was a pursuit of individual happiness over all else. I was talking to someone recently, and we were talking about what's important in life. And this person was saying that they felt the pursuit of happiness is the most important thing we can obtain in life. If we could just be happy, everything else will fall into place. I strongly disagree with that because the Bible never says pursue happiness. Happiness is a temporary emotional high based on temporarily favorable circumstances. However, since they're dependent upon circumstances, when those circumstances change, the person, there goes the happiness. You might be curled up on the couch with the person you love, holding them or being held and feel really happy in that moment. But what happens that next morning when you get in a fight with that person? You're no longer happy. So do you then throw the commitment aside and go seek your happiness elsewhere? That's the danger of pursuing happiness for happiness's sake. And chasing happiness was a catalyst of the sexual revolution of the 1960s. People were chasing happiness highs in both drugs and sex. And the destruction that resulted to the moral fabric of our citizens, and more importantly, the family unit, was terrible. Divorce statistics, if you looked at the graphs of support, support or divorce statistics, they were kind of like this prior to the 60s and also went like that. Families were dissolved because of this. The abortion industry was born and took off. And we compounded our depravity by killing the offspring that were created by our pursuit of this nebulous form of happiness. But then it got even worse. In verse 26, we really started falling off the moral cliff. God gave them over. Verse 26 says, because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relationships for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves a due penalty for their error. 
when people separate themselves from God, they lose the ability to understand what true joy is because joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. They discovered they couldn't find happiness through normal intimate practices, so they started looking elsewhere. We really saw this jump hard at us in the mid to late 1990s. Same-sex attraction became mainstream and became accepted. What was once considered to be very shameful and only seen in seedy parts of town now began to be celebrated openly. TV shows and movies showed this in a favorable light. And one year, early 2000s, a Barna research poll said that over 74% of the programs on TV had a homosexual character portrayed in a favorable or sympathetic light. That changed our culture. It was actually brainwashing by Satan, if you want to be honest. To throw it out there that hard, that's what happened. And it led to the marriage laws changing to allow same-sex couples to get married. And it's my belief that this provoked a divine reaction. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully here. And I want to be very clear. I believe that reaction was September 11, 2001, the 9-11 attacks. Now, again, I want to be very clear. God did not judge us because of homosexuality, abortion, sexual lasciviousness. He, that's not to take away from this. Because a lot of pulpits preach that during that time. And, and I want to, to bring this back to what it, I believe it really was. Many pastors at that time were calling out the symptom, not the disease. If a person comes into my ER and says they have chest pain, I can give you a whole bunch of narcotics and take away the chest pain and never deal with the disease of the heart attack. Disease was our nation and our world turning their back on God the Father and his word to us. That was the disease. September 11th was meant to be a wake-up call. It was a cry from heaven. Stop! Stop! Stop this further slide into evil. And return to God. Stop the slide. Otherwise, further and much worse consequences are going to come. Unfortunately, our country and the rest of the world didn't get the message. And now we're getting about half a week, but then we went right back to where we are. And now we're getting into the last stage of this sad moral slide shown to us in Romans chapter 1. Verse 28 says, furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. Love their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Does that sound like the world we're living in today? 
We ignored our wake-up call, and now the world is reaping this whirlwind. I can't believe that a substantial portion of our society right now thinks that drag queens performing to kindergarten classrooms is a good thing. That fills me with, a, with such a sense of, of holy rage <laughs> that, that people are that far gone. But what it does is it shows us the mortal danger those people are in. Their consciences are being scarred so badly by this world that it's going to get to the point where repentance isn't possible. Jesus called it grieving the Holy Spirit. You develop so much callous, build so many walls against the Holy Spirit that sooner or later you get to that point where you can't be saved anymore. Now, I'm not going to point out and say that person can't be saved anymore. I still want to believe that anybody could come to the cross, no matter what they've done, what they've believed. But I'm just saying on the spiritual level, if you keep, going at, keep agreeing with this nonsense, you're endangering your immortal soul. And it's hard to believe that things could get that much worse. But even a brief survey of the Bible shows that it can be. And it will be much worse. Not just the circumstances of the war that we're facing, but the character of the society that we live in. Paul teaches this in his, Paul's last words were 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1, he talks about people during these times. Paul said, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them. Can anyone here testify that's what we're seeing? His words written 2,000 years ago are coming true in our world today. We're living in a world that continually mocks and resists God and his word. It's growing darker and darker, and that darkness permeates every human being until God has no choice but to bring destruction. If you remember the Old Testament, the Old Testament is there in the Bible for a reason. It's to show us God and his ways and what he does. God frequently sent judgments to the nation of Israel and many of the surrounding areas. And if you read the minor prophets, he sent it to other nations as well and sent prophets to warn them about it. Some people looking at these judgments have said, oh, that's some old crabby God. Jesus is the kinder, gentler God now, and he won't send anybody to hell. God is God, period. Jesus is God. Jesus was part of these judgments as well. People forget that. God is also, we have to remember, he's a father, and any good father will bring discipline to his children to save them from the consequences of acting badly. I will say, though, that God's primary goal for any judgment, any 
any chastisement this side of heaven is restorative. He doesn't want to just kill people and send them straight to hell. The Bible says that God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. He also said, it also says that God is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God sends consequences and judgment to chastise us and bring us back to him. And time after time, we see God sending prophet after prophet to turn people back to him as creator. However, there does come a tipping point when God's patience runs out, when the, the cancer of evil has run its course, and now the, the patient, the humanity he's dealing with, is terminally ill. And as the Bible says, at that point, it's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Ask Sodom and Gomorrah. When a nation gets to that point, there is no return. In fact, you see this in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah. The kingdom of Judah finally got to that point. Look what God tells Jeremiah. Jeremiah eleven fourteen. 14, he says, don't pray for these people. Don't offer any plea or petition for them because I will not listen when they call upon me. The tipping point had happened. Because right after God told that to Jeremiah, Judah ceased to exist. They were wiped out by the nation of Babylon. And I'm hoping and praying we haven't gotten to this point yet. I love my country. I love that flag. I love what we are supposed to stand for. That's why I've been calling us to fast and pray for ourselves and our nation lately to spend time with God begging him to send revival instead of judgment. However, we also have to recognize if this continues, we're sure to see the events of the book of Revelation. Some people are beginning to ask me the question at church. Some people are, a more, are not church uh, at work. Some people are a little bit more biblically literate. They're asking me, are the current events in Israel a prelude to World War III or Ezekiel's war described in Ezekiel 38 and 39. That's when Israel comes under a sudden and devastating attack and is supernaturally saved by God. I think it's possible that we're witnessing some of these events. As I said, Iran is the chief person behind this and behind them, Russia. And if you look at some of the nations described in Ezekiel 38, Russia and Iran are on top of them. Jesus also warned us what is to come. In Matthew 24, Jesus begins with a warning. Make sure no one deceives you. People are going to try to play this off to something else, but I see the hand of God moving behind the scenes. In Matthew 24, starting in verse 4, Jesus answered, claiming I am the that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Nation will rise up, it must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. 
Because of the increase of wickedness, the love, the agape love, that God love, of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And then the end, the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So going back to the question I posed at the beginning of the message, are we in the end times? My answer, we're definitely heading there. However, I do want to leave you with some hope this morning. I said earlier that God does not take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, nor does he want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. I mentioned a moment ago in the Old Testament, God gives us examples of his character and his desire for even the most wicked of nations to come back to him in repentance. One of the biggest examples we see in the Old Testament is the Old Testament book of Jonah. We see God send a prophet to the capital city of the world superpower of the time, the Assyrian Empire. They were the strongest country on the planet at that time. They had already conquered Israel at this point. And Judah was, was kind of trembling in fear that they were going to come south and get them too. But God still loved the people of the Assyrian Empire also. So he sent a prophet to tell those pagan demon worshipers that God was about to wipe them out of, off the planet. He said, in, in so many days, Nineveh will fall. It'll be like Sodom and Gomorrah. What happened? They repented. And God relented. So it showed that even in the most horrific demon-worshipping place, God will forgive if people repent and return to him. We also should recognize, though, some people think God changed his mind, but about 100 years later, an Old Testament prophet named Nahum returns to Nineveh, announcing the destruction of that nation. The repentance was short-lived. This time, the prophet was ignored, and Babylon wiped out Assyria. That's the prophetic example and warning to America today. Yes, we have the world's most powerful military. By far, we have the world's navy. You could top, take the next five countries on Earth, most powerful, and we still have a bigger navy than they do. Our armed forces are battle-hardened and ready to go. But you know what? Still doesn't take or it still won't stand up to a holy God. So, does America repent? Or do we fall into the dustbin of history as a warning to future generations? I hope we repent. I want to close with this. I've been focusing on a nation. But that Roman slippery slide that we discussed also happens to individual people. If you're honest this morning, perhaps you're someone that's on that slippery slope that we studied. Maybe you've had some secret sin that has entered your heart. If so, you desperately need to repent. You need to turn back to God and acknowledge him as the God who created you, the God who loves you, the God who wants to give you a way to return to him. 
If you're sitting under the sound of my voice right now, he still loves you. He still desires to have you return to him. As my favorite verse in the entire Bible, John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world, he gave us his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, so, but so that the world could be saved through him. God is holding out his hand right now and saying, Come back to me. Come back to me. Throw away that secret sin. Throw away that pursuit of happiness. And instead be filled with the Holy Spirit, with the joy of the Lord. And hell cannot conquer you. So Father God, I just ask, Lord, that you just search us and know us this morning. That you will root out any evil that is beginning to take root in our hearts, that you will point out anything in our lives that we are holding on to from our old lives that is setting us down that slippery slope that everyone else is falling down. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you give us the Holy Spirit power to turn from that sin, to root out the root that is within us that, that makes us long for it. Tear it out, Father, replace it with you so that we can shine the light of Jesus to a nation that desperately needs to see a true representation of Jesus Christ. Lord God, we thank you this morning. 